0: Everyone, welcome to this roundup. The old systems, models, and way of doing things are struggling to survive as new way of doing things are emerging rapidly due to advances in robotics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning-driven automation. Driven by intelligent machines, this ongoing automation matches or outperforms human performance in a growing number of actions. As a result it is important to evaluate the pace and extent of automation and what will be the impact of automation on employment, economics, and efficiency. To discuss automation and future of employment further, I'm delighted to welcome Eckhart at Ernst to Risk Roundup. Eckhart is an economist for macroeconomic policy at International Labour Organization, and he's based in Switzerland. Welcome, Eckhart. We're honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. Wonderful, Eckhart. So, Advances in artificial intelligence is occurring in a new age of automation as machines are about to match or outperform human performance in a broad range of activities across industries and sectors, including ones requiring cognitive capabilities. So from your assessment, what is the automation potential for the global economy?
1: But first of all i think <clears throat> we should st- take a step back and, and really understand what these technologies are about huh? most of these uh, new technologies are really just prediction machines about certain tasks that can be routinized certain recurrent tasks that come up uh, uh, uh every every time when you do work in uh in both uh, industry and and services for instance uh, when you want to kind of understand uh, or um, Process certain text, legal text, accounting uh, documents, etc. You can, you have routine tasks that come up uh, regularly, and you can, you can then use this type of tools, which basically are just an, a series of statistical routines to understand and summarize these documents. Huh? Um, so, to the extent that this is part of a, a relatively large range of tasks that we are doing, the potential to, to automatize these uh, um, these tasks is relatively, relatively large. We see already in issues in, in, in services like accountancy and legal services also that these type of uh, of uh, machine tools are being used um, and and are already not so much replacing work but helping current uh, uh, workers in these areas to, to uh, improve and, and become more productive. Huh? What I would add to that is that you never should underestimate the amount of uh, resources that you actually need to both develop and use these tools. Uh, I think that most people underestimate the extent to what uh, these tools are actually using uh, using huge amount of energy, and um, a- and so this is not necessarily something that you can scale up at a large uh, at a large uh, uh, scale. You can you can uh, you can increase it. Uh, uh, to to an infinite ex- uh, amount. Just to give you one example, um, a lot of these tools we re- rely on enormous amount of data that has to be stored somewhere. Uh, so we talk about cloud computing. We talk about data centers that big uh, companies like Microsoft or Google also are, are, uh, 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 are hold and 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 offer. And these computing centers need a lot of energy, um, which costs a lot of money, obviously. And so the the problem is that it's actually often more t- uh, more resource uh, efficient to still store uh, your data on paper and process it with human brains rather than using computers for that, because the computing power that you need for that is still, is still enormous. That may change in the future, but for the moment at least we are not there yet.
0: Yes, I mean, we are not almost there yet, but we are almost there. Because as, as you see, the advances in neuromorphic computing will take care of the computing and processing power, you know, challenges that we face currently. And yes, there are still a lot more, you know, technological uh, and technical challenges that we need to overcome to be able to use or exploit the capabilities that machine intelligence uh, and uh, all these algorithms give us. But it is advancing rapidly and these neuromorphic computing, especially and uh, neuromorphic chips that are, you know, emerging from across nations are going to fundamentally change the way we do things in very near future. So that is going to probably, you know, make the advances very, very rapid. After you know all that uh, commercial applications emerge from for the uh, neuromorphic ch- the chips and the computing, so that is one area where I see that it's going to fundamentally change the pace of uh, development. But what other areas? What other factors do you see uh, that will determine the extent of automation adoption and the economic impact associated with its uh, potential? Because yes, techno technical obstacles still need to be overcome, but at the same time, how much adoption will be there, which countries will adopt all these technologies and all these automation capabilities, and which countries will not. So, what factors will determine that?
1: What's actually very interesting, if you see some of the applications currently, is that a more, a, a, a broad range of applications is done in areas. Where we don't have the human capacity to uh, to act, uh, and that concerns, for instance, in the transport industry. I mean, if you think about things like Uber or Didi, uh, these companies are actually uh, uh, providing technologies to match, to better match uh, supply and demand on uh, on taxi services. uh, And and this is some this is an area where human humans are not at a particular advantage in any case. uh, And so I think this you see really a potential for, for these technologies to rapidly being implemented and increase or, or provide enormous gains in terms of efficiency. Uh, same for the electricity management. Electricity networks are uh, enormously complex to manage and uh, Google has recently developed some tools to, to improve their own electricity management and manage to kind of save around 20 to 25 percent on the electricity bill. So you see these are areas where human, humans typically don't have a particular advantage. Huh? This, the fear is that these technologies might eventually evolve in areas where humans are currently performing, as I mentioned before, uh, in, in areas like accounting, legal services, and, and kind of services like compliances, etc., where, where humans currently perform a large chunk of the work. Uh, uh, there we do see some progress, but certainly not uh, at the at the scale and the speed at which you would be, need to be afraid that that would uh, significantly to uh, to drop, uh, uh, to job to job destruction.
0: No, that's a good point. The electricity, you know, saving would be a great benefit. Now. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, so I I agree there, you know, there are a lot of different areas where we can have a lot of benefits because of these uh, advances. But at the same time, automation will also help enable these, uh, as you said, you know, performance improvement, productivity, and uh, we can reduce errors, we can improve quality speed. And in some, some cases, we can also achieve outcomes that can go beyond human capabilities, as you were just discussing. So as nations, witness this, you know, lackluster productivity growth. So would automation give the needed boost to economic growth and prosperity and help offset the impact of a declining share of the working age population in many countries? Like if we see Japan, you know, that there, you know, automation would certainly, you know, help in so many different uh, uh, areas. So do you see other than Japan, you know, which other countries can benefit from this kind of
1: uh, automation well, I mean, you mentioned demographic change and population aging, and I think that is actually a very good point, because we also in countries in Europe, in Switzerland, here, or on, on other countries, where we start feeling the, uh, uh, the, the change in, in population, and in the aging of the population, these type of technologies can be of immense help to... Uh, to actually overcome the, the labor shortages. And, and you see already companies moving in this area when they can't find. I mean, yesterday I was talking to a, to an accountant. He told me, he told me that we can't find accountants. So, I mean, they, they try to replace what they cannot find on the labor market by machines. And so I think that there is certainly a drive towards that. On your broader point of productivity increases that 's a huge potential which, not, which has not yet been materialized we don 't see for the moment a lot of productivity increases, but it clearly is, uh, is on the table and it 's clearly an, a, an area where we would hope that these kind of uh, technologies can help us, in particular in developing countries uh, i mean i mean in, in countries like India or, or in some African countries where you have huge Uh, uh, problems in terms of uh, lack of skilled labor, these type of technologies can actually help to replace you. In India in particular, there there are examples where uh, these technologies are being used to improve the quality and the productivity of the healthcare system. Because because even though you don't have the number of doctors that you would need to kind of properly serve uh, the country you can then use these technologies to complement and help doctors to become more efficient in terms of diagnosing certain diseases, etc. And so I think that, that given that these technologies actually in principle are much cheaper to use than, than previous waves of, of, of automation, you have a potential, especially in developing countries, to use this at the, and, and improve your productivity much faster than in the past.
0: I agree. I think healthcare is one area where uh, there will be great, you know, benefits for everyone across nations. And in fact, using the automation potential, uh, we can provide free healthcare pretty much to each and every country because it would not require that much resources and it will all be automated. So that basic some sort of basic healthcare can be provided free to every country based on the advances in uh, automation that uh, I'm seeing and you know the kind of transformation I'm seeing in the healthcare industry. So that is one really good area. Now, uh, at the same time, it is also believed that almost half of the activities humans are doing right now and for which they are getting paid and it's coming out, I think I read in McKinsey report or somewhere that it's almost like 16 trillion in wages Of the global economy has the potential to be automated. So, more than it's almost like more than 2000 work activities across 800 occupations. So, this will have a huge impact. So, which activities across which industries? You think has a more potential in 2019 and in the next five years to be automated, and which nations will be impacted more because these are broad changes coming our way. And while, yes, there are a lot of jobs that will be created for the high skill, you know, AI, machine learning capabilities, technical skills, but at the same time, a lot of other lower level, you know, areas and the skill sets are all going to be automated. Physical work is going to be automated. So there is going to be a huge impact in the coming years.
1: No, I, th- I think the changes are certainly coming and this, this transformation will certainly not be smaller than in the past. What I would say to 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 your concerns is that you have to look into jobs not as as uh, as a single uh, a single activity, but as as an uh, as a um, as a bundle of tasks that people perform. Uh. And so, it's not only that your entire job will disappear; it's certain tasks that will disappear. And just talking about healthcare, when you think about this, what is a doctor or nurse actually doing during the day? A lot of it co- uh, uh, refers to activities that are routine uh, that can be uh, that are routine and that can be replaced by machines. For instance, diagnosing. For instance, rep- uh, filling in uh, filling in forms, ordering new medication, etc., all these things can be replaced by machines and can be done much more efficiently by machines. Huh? What that means is that, that the, the nurse and the doctor actually have much more time to take care of their patients, which for the moment at least is a real bottleneck in a many, in many uh, healthcare systems, including in advanced economies huh? and so I think that we should not be afraid of Machines kind of taking over the tasks that we actually don't like to do in any case because they're so routine and repetitive. Repetitive, they help us free time to do more of the personalized services, the kind of the the, the care activities that for the moment are so much undervalued in uh, in our economies. And I think that we do, we, we don't lack we don't lack uh, um, requests for activity. We, what we lack is the time to actually do this properly. And b- because of the fact that we focusing so much on repetitive tasks for which the machines are much better placed. What you you write about is that a lot of, uh, especially developing in emerging economies, currently have, uh, because of their cheaper labor force, have taken over a lot of these routine tasks instead of machines. So so, uh, people talk about remote intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. That is a real challenge that a lot of these remote intelligence, for instance, in call centers, but also in terms of supply chains, et cetera, might potentially be replaced by machines. So we see, for instance, think about our 3D printing, a lot of high value added activity is being moved back to advanced economies because it can now be done much more cheaper with machines and with these intelligence, uh, intelligent computers. Than, than before. So there is a real potential, and our own research actually has shown that even previous waves of automation, like with rob- robots, has affected mostly developing and emerging economies, not so much advanced economies. So there is a real danger that the focus on low-value uh, cheap labor activities in emerging economies currently might actually uh, be replaced in the future.
0: Absolutely, you know, I think that's a good point because it's not just uh, AI driven automation. We are about to, you know, transform the way of manufacturing, the way of producing using not only 3D printing, the digital additive manufacturing, but also molecular manufacturing that's coming our way and also the bioengineering, the synthetic biological capabilities. So, there are a lot of advances coming our way that will fundamentally change how we produce things, how we manufacture things. So, if the job losses are un- not going to happen just because of the ai-driven automation but because because of this uh, the capabilities we are developing to produce things to replicate things to duplicate things in a much more efficient much more you know affordable way to produce things you know in a synthetic biology molecular manufacturing and uh, 3d printing digital additive manufacturing these are all very disruptive technologies and you know it's it is definitely going to create a lot of job losses. And we should not be afraid to, you know, do progress and uh, development. But at the same time, when we know that, you know, these new way of doing things is going to, uh, you know, eliminate the need for so many uh, human workers and we have to be prepared. And this dialogue is about preparedness, that where we see changes coming our way and what we should do to prepare so that, you know, the human workforce that would start shrinking. What to do about that? And you know, what is the timeline of automation? What is the timeline of these changes coming our way, so that we are prepared? So, in your assessment, what is the timeline of all these changes coming our way?
1: Well, I think I think the timeline really depends on the on the extent to which companies are investing in these new technologies. And there, I would say that uh, we actually see a st- a significant slowdown in investment activities over the last 10-15 years in, in, in many countries, so, um, which has something to do with the, the overall macroeconomic environment in which, we are, in which we are currently operating, but it has also something to do with the, with the uncertainty that is surrounding these new technologies. Actually, many companies do not really know what the potential is, they are reluctant to invest in it, so for the moment, despite the fact that these, these technologies have huge potential. Uh, companies are actually not necessarily investing the same uh, the, the amount of, of money that you would expect. Huh? Um, so the timeline for the moment seems to me that uh, if we talk about the next 10-15 years at the same speed at which we are currently going, it's unlikely to produce a signi- significant increase in, um, uh, in job destruction, uh, at least in advanced economies. Maybe more in developing countries for the reasons I explained before, but in, in OECD countries, at least, the, the job destruction is unlikely to, uh, to be extremely fast because of that slow investment. So I would say that we do actually have a window of opportunity, uh, partly because of uh, population changes, population aging, but partly also because of that lack of, of investment. Having said that, if we don't use that time properly to prepare our workforce and to prepare our way of doing business, then uh, certainly in 10 or 15 years, we will face the same we will face the challenges of having a rapidly increasing number of people out of the job of the labor market.
0: Yes, I think that's a good point. And uh, you are right that, you know, we are not seeing the level of investment in all nations, you know, in a similar manner, as far as, you know, the automation goes or any other uh, distributed technology goes. So that, see, U.S. is investing, you know, heavily. China is investing heavily. If you look at the AI-driven automation, uh, same for Europe in uh, many countries. and uh, uh, But a lot of countries that are not investing, you know, a lot of African nations, a lot of, you know, Middle East countries, uh, what what do you see the impact will be? Because, you know, we, we will see a lot of imbalances in the progress and development in the countries that have automated and the countries that have not automated.
1: I, I, I think that's, a, that's an extremely important point that you just raised. Uh, I think that the the inequality aspect is really something which we should much more con- be concerned about than, than, the, than the job destruction part of it. And inequality comes both in terms of, uh, inequality between the leading companies who are actually investing in these new technologies and those who don't. But it also comes in terms of those countries who are moving ahead and those countries who are kind of lagging behind because of lack of capacity to develop these new technologies. Uh, and so I think that here we really face a huge struggle. Uh, there, there, as you mentioned before, there are two countries who are really kind of paving the way forward, that's the U.S. and China many other, other countries, including in Europe, are still lagging behind. And I think that there is really a need for consor- a consorted effort across, uh, across uh, nations to ensure that these new technologies are being developed in a fair and equitable manner, and that, ben- that countries benefit from it, even so, that they don't necessarily have the capacity right now to develop it by themselves.
0: Yes, very true. Now, I, I hear your point on that because, see, at the, the nations, the countries where a lot of automation is already happening, we will see a lot of job losses coming in the uh, coming years. And at the same time, you know, there will be a lot of countries where uh, the automation is not happening. So they will not be impacted by those job losses. But at the same time, we will face some other kind of challenge for which, you know, no nations are prepared for. And that would be mass migration. The mm, country. Absolutely. The, because the country, if the nations are not prepared and they okay. haven't together a proper structure of what to do with the people who are displaced by automation and how to get, get them different kind of automation, uh, employment, if they can train them quickly enough to get, you know, higher level employment, or if they cannot train them, then what to do about that? And if they cannot find jobs, then, you know, we will witness mass, you know, migration. So are any of the nations prepared for those kind of challenges?
1: Well, I mean, those those countries who have invested quite a bit in in these new technologies, they have created an environment, both in terms of uh, uh, investing in, t- in in universities, investing in in science and technology uh, networks uh, uh, through public funding, public pr- procurement, etc. But also by, by kind of investing heavily in, in, in their workforce in terms of uh, preparing them, uh, them and, and, and ensuring that they have the right technical skills for it. Huh? Uh, so these countries certainly have a capacity to develop and to adopt these technologies relatively rapidly. Um, but uh, many countries haven't done that yet. And, and there, is, there is, for the moment, even in Europe, is not really a cons- coordinated and consolidated effort to, to develop that at the, at the European level, at least. I mean, some... European countries do that, but uh, individually and not necessarily in a coordinated manner. And there's not necessarily the right infrastructure, the right environment to develop these new technologies. So, I would say that in addition to that, what is really key is that it's one thing to develop these new technologies. It's another thing to kind of adopt them and to make sure that people can use it, even though you don't necessarily have the the technical skills there to understand the tools. I mean. I always give my own example. I don't necessarily know how to develop a, uh, a, an app that kind of uses machine learning uh, for for some But, but I, what I can do is I can use a computer, I can use my cell phone, etc. A lot of people, a lot of the current workforce, even in Europe, is still reluctant to, to use computers to actually have... Uh, a workplace where these type of tools are, are part and parcel of their daily life and their daily activities. And I think you, you need to start from a relatively basic level, actually, and move people closer to these technologies and move them closer to understanding how to use these technologies and how to integrate them into their, into their regular workflow. Huh? And so here, there's actually a need. Not necessarily for more uh, engineers, but for basic digital skills and preparing the workforce to actually use these tools and use these tools critically. So to understand what the, what the potential is, but also what the limitations of the technologies are.
0: I think that's an excellent point that you made because the preparedness, the literacy is, you know, lacking in so many countries and a large population, you know, across, you know, so many nations. They are just not uh, literate, computer literate. or And if, if they have to, you know, advance, if they have to adapt to all these technologies, if they want to innovate, and uh, automate all their uh, processes, then, you know, it requires that education system, their uh, you know, research and developments, you know, uh, system, they all need to be quite advanced. And uh, so many countries lack that, you know, the kind of research budget that you need for these kind of uh, advances. If you are talking about AI-driven automation or if we are talking about molecular manufacturing or synthetic biology or, uh, uh, you know, 3D printing and others, you know, it requires kind of a lot yeah. of it. And skill set and not every country has those kind of you know skilled resources so that is also another big challenge that you know not every country has skilled resources for these kind of you know advances so that is going to create a lot of imbalances and then how to deal with what will be the result of those imbalances on and what uh, we need to be prepared for because it's the nation's policy makers they will have to be prepared for all these consequences you know whether irrespective of whether they innovate whether they auto and whether they uh, are able to successfully, you know, use their labor force, and they help them, you know, get reemployed if they are, you know, going to get laid off, and if they don't have jobs, so there are a lot of challenges coming our way, and lot nations will have to be prepared for mass migrations. Nations will have to be prepared for if molecular manufacturing, you know, comes up with ways of, you know, doing uh, producing things that uh, then, you know, the countries. A lot of countries uh, that don't have those capacities, what are they going to do? Because then, you know, we will also reverse globalization because we, there will not be any need for this integration or, you know, interconnected interdependencies. So, how do you see nations, policymakers, you know, going forward on
1: this? Well, I think I think that's an important point to uh, to raise that you have actually the uh, the challenge that those countries who don't adopt these technologies might might face. Uh, uh an increasing uh, difficulty to uh uh to continue being um catching up with uh with leading nations i think that this is the the big challenge is that you whatever whatever development gap we still have to we still have to cover it might actually become uh, larger and larger if countries don't manage to uh, um, to adopt these uh, or, or to kind of prepare their workforce for these technologies and to integrate them uh. Uh, what we can see already is that some countries actually take take a very proactive stance on it uh, i mean you might know that the united uh, um, Arab emirates currently they even have a uh, Ministry for Artificial Intelligence. So some countries really take an uh, extremely uh, proactive stance on this uh, for various reasons, but certainly also for reasons to, to prepare their workforce. Others are lacking behind, and I think especially those countries who already have development challenges really face these, the, the, the constraints of, of uh, understanding the challenge and, and implementing is probably what i what what we see here is that the development model based on cheap labor is coming to an end. I would think that thats that's a fair statement to make, and I think if we don't prepare these countries who currently rely on cheap labor to to move ahead, we will face increasing gaps of development that we we thought we had closed in the past.
0: I think that you made an excellent point. Cheap labor is definitely coming to an end in the coming years so that is what you know, nations will have to be prepared for that uh, labor is no longer going to be you know cheap and uh, the state of automation will fundamentally change you know the skill sets uh, you know that will be required so what do you think about the skill sets the, as the state of autom- automation uh, is advancing you know and uh, depending on the level of investment across nations what kind of skill sets that nations need to be prepared for and how, if they don't have the proper education system, proper innovation system, then how do they get the resources that they need? Should they depend on other nations, you know, advance for the progress and development or what should they do to create a sort of a level playing field for their countries and for their industries so that they can, you know, compete in the global market?
1: Well, I, I think what, what is really important to realize is that, um, as you mentioned before, if migration is certainly one of the options that, that uh, especially advanced economies have to fill in their, their need for, for qualified labor. But the migration depends on having actually skilled workers. So this requires that we actually invest in, in the workforce already in the countries where before they leave. I mean, if you wait until people come... And try to train them here. It might actually make, be be too late. So here you really have a need for an international collaboration across across countries to ensure that there is a proper training being done in uh, in, uh, in, in in countries in in sending countries, if you want, in uh, in developing and emerging uh, areas of of this of this world. Uh, what we currently see is the private sector is actually taking initiatives in this area. Google is currently investing heavily in, in, in Accra and Ghana uh, to develop its own uh, uh, artificial intelligence center, partly to, to train the workforce, but also to ensure that they can actually use some of their own tools in, in, in implementing them in the, in the country. But we shouldn't, that, we shouldn't let that uh, or left, leave that to the private sector. I think that should be a concerted uh, effort among countries and, and including international agencies to help countries to identify and invest properly in their uh, in the digital literacy of their workforce. Uh, that can be done. We we have uh, enough experience in terms of what type of curricula we need to set up, what type of skills is needed. Uh, and that can help both these countries in their own p- development paths, but also in terms of sending uh, educated people to more advanced economies. And I think that, that kind of combination of activities of the private sector in these countries, together with the public, uh, uh, public institutions to develop proper education system that help these countries to move forward, can actually be a huge uh, benefit to, uh, to everybody.
0: That is a necessity. So, do you see uh, more initiatives emerging for education and retraining and uh, preparing nations?
1: I I think there is a lack of awareness for the moment. I think that, uh, at least in in those countries where there is an increasing skill gap, uh, or a need for for advanced skills, uh, digital skills, there is still this kind of lack of awareness that you cannot fill this just by training your own workforce. Facebook, for currently is developing its own Facebook university to, to train software engineers. but if they cannot find enough software engineers or enough people to have the, the qualification to take up these skills, they either have to rely on migration or they have to invest in uh, in other countries for the moment that that awareness is still not there I would say and and I think that kind of discussions like ours today will hopefully help to under, to, under, uh, to help policymakers to understand. The uh, amount of the challenge, I mean, the lack of skills, the number of people that we're looking for is enormous. And we're not talking about just uh, a couple of thousands, you know, like talking about millions of people, at least in, in more advanced economies, of people that need these type of skills. That does not mean that they necessarily have to be all engineers, but, I mean, there's a range a range of activities, and we don't necessarily have the type of skills yet. And our education system are already stretched too much to be really delivering this type of skills over the next two, few years. So.
0: Very true. No, I, I do see your point there. And I think uh, uh, more and more organizations like Facebook and Google and they will all have to come up with their own initiatives, how to prepare the workforce that they need because our education systems are not able to keep up with the you know uh, rapid change in the new skill sets that's required because by the time, you know, uh, they come to prepare their education curriculum, you know, there's entirely new technology and new kind of skill sets, you know, that is going to be in need. So uh, they are not going to be, they are not able to keep up so Uh, That is a good that to know that, you know, organizations like uh, Facebook and Google, they are all taking their initiatives. But what about governments and what about the labor organizations that, you know, in all countries that they see that the labor force is going to be impacted? What kind of preparation they are doing to keep up for the to meet the coming challenges for their uh, labor force, human labor?
1: Well, I mean, as I said, I think that the, the, there is really a lack of awareness also at the side of the of of, of public institutions. I mean, I think that all social partners certainly try to adjust to it, that they try to uh, to help governments to uh, uh, to understand the challenge. But it's not up to them to invest in the in the in these new uh, uh, in these new programs. I think that. If you really want to make sure that our education systems are up to the task, we need to we need to ensure that public money is being spent on these education institutions, and that's currently not the case. I mean, especially look if you look in 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 within European countries, education spending has actually declined over the last uh, the last 10-15 years, partly because of the macroeconomic situation that we were facing here. Um, uh, but but, there is really a, a lack of a, a, a backlog of 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 investment in this in these areas and and I think that that comes back to my earlier point about the the overall lack of investment. I think we are not investing enough resources in preparing our workforce both in terms of uh, developing these technologies but also in terms of developing the right skills that these uh, that the the coming workforce need to uh, to do that so so my that 's why that 's why I mentioned before i think my vision about this is that we need to we need to partner with the private sector. But leaving it to Facebook and Google and Microsoft to to train people is not sufficient because they will only look into their particular need. They will, they will not have the broad vision of the type of skills that are needed in the future. So we need to have this private-public partner public, uh, partnership, but we need to ensure that the public sector comes in, both in terms of uh, uh, offering the money, but also in terms of setting up the right curricula that people can actually use and develop the skills that are relevant for the the years to come.
0: Very true. I I agree with you on that, that there is a need for awareness and everyone needs, all organizations, government, and everyone needs to get involved in preparing for the workforce because uh, companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft, they will prepare for what their needs are. Exactly. They are not going to prepare the... Job, uh, the human workforce that uh, got laid off, they, that they lost job. They're not going to go and prepare for them, you know, uh, because if they don't need those skill sets. So who is going to look after those, uh, you know, individuals or that large, you know, uh, population who would not have jobs and who doesn't have the right skill set to be able to get new jobs? So there are there is going to be a lot of different variables and. Uh, the social acceptance will play a big role. I mean, uh, the businesses may invest in all these new form of uh, innovations and new automation capabilities and all that, but at the same time, if there is a mass, you know, large level of people, uh, employment, you know, is gone, then there will be social unrest and, you know, the social acceptance needs to come into picture. So people need, uh, the countries need to prepare uh, if you know, there is going to be this kind of transformation, fundamental transformation. Then there is a, a need for some sort of acceptance, that an awareness about that. That if nations are going to accept the change, is rapid change is coming their way, and the regulatory system will have, have to keep up. Now, if we see, you know, if there is going to be large Level of you know automation, then uh, the tax also the taxation also will be a problem because as you know more and more humans will lose their job, the amount of taxes coming into the uh, treasury for each country is also going to you know decline. So how are nations going to keep up? How are nations going to come up with the money that they need to spend for the retraining and for even if let's say you know the Everybody is talking about universal, you know, uh, basic payment. Where will that money come from? So nations will have to come up with uh, how to regulate, how to uh, come up with enough uh, financial resources so that they can keep up with all these expenses that are coming their way. Do you see that kind of dialogue or any initiatives uh, happening across nations?
1: Yeah, I see, I think that that is, is one of the other aspects where I would say there is a real lack of awareness and, and understanding of these, of these challenges. I, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, uh, the, 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 there are two challenges of the current, uh, the current trade digital transformation. One is digital services are actually very hard to track and tax. Uh? I mean, as the international trade, uh, sorry, international tax treaties are, uh, provide enormous loopholes to, uh, to these companies to actually circumvent, uh, uh, paying paying their fair share of of taxes, uh, and you see that companies like Amazon also they're paying extremely low amount of of taxes, and sometimes even don't comply with uh, with value added taxes that would uh, that would in, uh, in principle be paid by consumers. So so there's a it's a huge. Uh, Uh, um, amount of taxes that is not being, uh, that is not coming or that's not no longer being recovered by states and, and affecting already their, their revenue situation. But in addition to that, I would say that the, the corporate tax side as well is, is currently being, uh, coming under pressure by these, by these companies. And here, um, and here the, the challenge really is that uh, you need to find alternative ways of of taxing these companies. The traditional way of trying to co- tax corporations at their uh, at their at their base at their location is is coming under pressure, and, and partly because they basically you can you can move these these type of services around uh, across different places depending on where the the, uh, the tax or basically depending on what type of tax havens you have, uh, and so 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 companies use this type of. Opportunities to to avoid paying paying taxes uh, altogether uh, plus and that's I think the third element, especially when you talk about the digital workforce uh, that is kind of uh, offering their, their labor over over the internet again, there's a lot of tax revenues that are not being recovered because of the fact that these people offer services in other countries but are not liable to both their own their home countries and their foreign country to actually to, to pay their to pay their, uh, their, their income tax or uh, uh, or contribution to social security. A lot of a, a couple of a couple of proposals have been put on the table. They are actually I mean it's possible to through digital uh, uh to, to international tax treaties to try to tackle this, but again this has to be a coordinated effort to do so. Yes. In case, in case you cannot find this type of agreement and it is unlikely to happen in a, in a, in a short amount of time, there is still the possibility that you can actually, that countries need to find alternative ways to recover the money. One thing that has been put on the table is something that's called social wealth funds. It's similar to what oil, oil exporting nations are doing. So oil exporting nations are investing in their oil companies uh, through sovereign wealth funds. So they're actually investing in these companies. In, in the type, in the in the digital economy you could some imagine something similar where countries are actually investing in these digital companies. So it's not a taxation as such, but it's an investment that these companies make, uh, the, sorry, that these countries make and that they can through their through the profit sharing that they get, through the dividend payments, etc., they can actually recover some of the money that this company is making and channel it back into their own, uh, uh, into, the, into public budgets. That is a possibility that is on the table but has not really been evaluated properly yet.
0: That's an interesting, you know, approach of investing in these uh, digital companies to be able to uh, get some revenues. But I, I hear California is proposing a digital dividend on this. Uh, yes, exactly. So that yeah. also could, you know, Catch up, or uh, there could be a way that you know uh, governments come up with a new approach that let's just tax every machine, you know, or every job that gets automated, uh, let's you know, tax the machine so that. Uh, the revenues keep coming. Who knows? I mean, they still have to figure out, you know, a way of uh, increasing their revenues because the governments will need more money in the coming years as there is more automation and as more people uh, lose jobs. they will to keep the social uh, structure and to keep the safety net. You know, they will have to uh, come Absolutely. up with a different approach. But so, how do you see nations or even the labor market? Uh, uh, to be built? What should countries do in the coming years so that all these imbalances that are emerging, that they can effectively, you know, manage that? Uh, I, I'm not sure how, you know, the investing in uh, uh, these companies as a country, if you invest in a Google or as a country, if you invest in Facebook and Uh, Microsoft, I'm not sure that's the right way for governments to depend on the financial resources that they need in the coming years. But uh, what other approach or discussions are happening, you know, or thought leadership is emerging uh, to create a more balanced power structure? Because as you see so far the security and everything was government's you know responsibility now now because of the way things are advancing the you know industries businesses are becoming more powerful In many ways, more even than governments in many, you know, areas. So, how do you see that this current form of structure will remain where government will uh, decide and they will be the decision maker? Or do you see a collaborative decision structure emerging where governments, where industries, where organizations and academia, they all come work collaboratively and they, you know, jointly Make decisions for the future of those of their respective, you know, countries, or you know, for the future of the humanity. Do you see some sort of, you know, sharing of power emerging in the coming years between uh, different components of a nation?
1: Well, I see at least some 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 countries or some regions in the world kind of start thinking about these issues. Uh, and I mean, you, because you mentioned California, it's actually a very good example for that. Uh, so, so one one of the other challenges we have is that. Uh, is that the digital e- economy ha- relies on a very different business model than the traditional the traditional kind of what i call brick and mortar type of business huh? so what so if you think about the traditional, uh, companies like a traditional company like a car company etc the way it works is that you make money at the end of the process when you sell the car to the final customer that's when you make money and then the the the, the profit that is being generated by that sale of the car is then distributed along your, your value chain back to the, the, the previous, the, the initial investor. And typically, the more and more you, go, you move up again, uh, the less and less money people get. Uh. In the digital economy, it's just the opposite. At the final consumer, you don't make any money because what Facebook and Google and, and others are offering is typically extremely uh, either free or at, at a very low price which is why you for instance newspapers and 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 at these these days have difficulties to to generate enough revenues where the money comes from is at the beginning when you provide data free often through your 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 posting on Facebook your use your, your Google searches etc that's when you as a consumer actually provide a lot of profit opportunities for these companies because they can use them for marketing purposes and targeted advertisement to to different consumers. Eh? California is trying to currently uh, m- move forward and ex- and and considers this to be uh, as as labor provision. You know, so so you actually provide labor to these companies, which, which uh, researchers called data as labor. So you provide, you provide actually services to these companies. And so this, these type of services should be properly taxed. The money that companies make out of this should be properly taxed or at least properly remunerated. So California is trying to currently think about ways of you as a consumer being remunerated through either uh, specialized services that are coming to your way uh, for free or some, some other forms of remuneration. One simple example. If you give if you give your data for health purposes, healthcare companies can provide you with much more targeted services uh, as as a consumer group overall. But you should actually be benefiting not only in terms of more targeted services, but you should be benefiting also from the profits that these companies are making. So you should give an, you should be provided with some kind of remuneration or profit sharing agreement between the healthcare company. And you as a customer who provides this type of information. And so I think the reflection really goes into that direction. How to make sure that you as a, uh, as a customer that provides data to these companies, how can you benefit financially or a in a non pecuniary manner from the benefits that these companies are making?
0: I think the, your thoughts are in the right direction because instead of... Uh, all these, you know, countries and all these organizations and thought leaders are talking about that let's give a universal basic income. So, you know, governments decide what would be the basic income everyone should get uh, irrespective of, you know, what they, how many family members are in a family or uh, what their status of job was, you know, whether they were making half a million dollars and they lost a job or whether they were making $10,000 and then they lost a job. So they... The Right now, the proposal that is being discussed is universal basic income. But instead, I think from what you are talking, you know, it looks like, you know, why don't we put together a structure where each and right now, all these data that all these big, you know, companies that are using uh, for gathering their intelligence or developing models or, you know, coming up with a new marketing strategy. But it is the it is each individual's data that is being used and they are benefiting financially. All these companies are exploiting private data and they are not even getting permission from, you know, most of the users, nobody gives permission that, yes, go ahead and use my data, you know, for your financial reward and benefits. So instead, why don't we make individuals' data their own property? And if all these corporations... If these companies want to use my data or your data, then they have to pay us. Yes, that, that's that's what we are getting compensation and we won't yeah. have... Depend on you know government uh, uh, handouts, and uh, we we will make our own money because we have the control of our data, where to sell, who to sell, and we can compete in this you know a new digital economy. So I think that would be a better way of uh, making sure that even every single individual will have a power and will have a way of making money, and uh, they will not even if they lose a job, they will still have some revenues coming in, and they. Yeah. Will- have source of income coming in. So I think that would be a better approach of selling our data or of licensing, you know, to whoever is the highest bidder than, you know, just getting a free government handout from, you know, from any country. So I think your line of thought is very good. And I, I have been thinking about this. And in fact, somebody asked me on LinkedIn today, that what are you proposing, you know? And uh, I was thinking what kind of, uh, how I should shape this. But as we discuss this, I think that thought is becoming very clear that it, that is better way to move forward, that give the control of individual data to individuals and let them sell it to whoever gives them more money. That way yeah. we are in control and we get, you know, uh, compensated for the, uh, our own data and uh, the information and intelligence that these digital companies are you know getting from that so good good you know i think that was a very productive discussion yeah. as uh, progress and development in technology and these technological innovations i mean it has it's not the first time that we are seeing these kind of you know fundamental transformation happening across nations but as we have been discussing, there are a lot of complex, challenging, and competing forces at play. And there is a power play between governments and businesses also. There is a, a power play between different in, uh, innovations in different technologies itself. So, a lot of these forces are certain, but some of these forces uh, are, un- there are so many unknowns here also. And the speed at which all of these changes and, you know, that are coming our way. And that are unfolding it's very hard to predict, so regulations laws the go- and the governments that impose them the the consumer citizens and work sentiment, you know how e- everyone you know is ready to accept this changing, how we are ready to uh, adapt so all this is going to influence the transition, and it is uh, as we you know try to automate uh, workforce so what forces of these uh, changes that are coming our way of technology innovation that are coming our way are defining and determining the shape of the future workforce today and will define the shape of the workforce tomorrow? What are those critical areas where we have to look out for? Because a lot of tech, you know, innovations are happening and it's, the technologies are converging and. It's almost like a technological tsunami. Today we have this technology, tomorrow we will get, you know, come up with a better technology. So there are a lot of, you know, changes coming our way. So what we should keep an eye for, especially, you know, to protect the human workforce as this machine workforce emerges in the coming tomorrow.
1: I, th- I think the big challenge that we are currently facing is the fact that because of this concentration of wealth that the current framework gives to, to these da- data companies, uh, a lot of these companies uh, invest heavily in lobbying and and, uh, and policy making to ensure that first, first of all their business model is not being put under threat and second that, that they actually protect themselves against further competition. What we currently see uh, uh, in, in many markets at least in advanced economies is this concentration of power on 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 product market and that has a concentration of power also on labor market. So so labor uh labor is actually at the at the losing end of the of the competition currently in, in, in this area. And I think that that brings I mean this, this whole discussion we just we just had on data as labor and, and new property rights for, for data is something that these companies try to resist as much as they can and they have the, the financial power to influence policy making. And I think we we need to be be aware of this. We need to ensure that this type of power is not being is not leading us to a uh, to a dead end uh, currently. I mean, you see, even in Europe, European policymakers are heavily influenced by what Facebook and Google trying to impose on them uh, through lobby, etc. So, I think that this is this is the main challenge that whatever innovative pol- policy solution we try to come up with, these companies will try whatever they can to uh, resist this type of this type of movement. And I think that is that is the the major challenge that we currently face.
0: Yes, very true. Now, as we are also witnessing that the model of the work itself is changing because as we see that independent work or, you know, is, you know, rising more and, you know, the full-time employment, that is also, you know, slowly probably going to be in decline and, you know, the work model itself is changing. So how do you see the models of work and work structure change across nations and does it matter you know how these models are going to uh, change w- depending on which country because in united states can have work model one one work model and you know other countries may have a different kind of work model do you see that that uh, imbalances or you know different kind of work models that will emerge in the coming years will uh, how will it impact the safety and security of nations? Because if uh, the way I see it, you know, this decentralized economy that is developing, you know, anybody could be in any part of the world and um, uh, some portion of, you know, a automation work can be done here. Some in India, some in, you know, China, some in some other country, everybody, all resources are, you know, uh, in different places. So that makes it that will make it very difficult for any country to even regulate AI or automa- any kind of automation, because not all that is human resources are going to be in one country. So how do you see these evolving work structures and work models impact the safety and security of a country?
1: Well, I think I think that uh, countries still have a, the possibility to define more or less the boundaries for their own work models. I think I'm, I would not be so much afraid that this is this is something that kind of de- evaporates totally. Uh, and what you can already see is that there's a lot, there's a range of activities that that, um, that is this is happening in countries. One thing I would say is I would I mean, despite the fact that we are, we hopefully see some regulation in favor of uh, of better remuneration of of people who are providing the data. I would not necessarily discard totally the idea of, of a universal basic income. And for the simple reason is that what, when, we, when you look at how, how activities evolve over the course of a development of a country, you see increasing, uh, uh, increasingly people using their time for volunteering ati- volunteer activities, social activities, care activities, which are often poorly remunerated and partly that has to do with the fact that these sectors are not properly regulated but partly it has to be has to also to do with the fact that people actually feel like they don't want to do, they don't want to deliver this type of services as market activities they really want to have this kind of personal social aspect of, of the activity and so in order to ensure that that these activities are being that people can live off these activities properly Universal basic income can actually be one possibility to ensure that people have a proper living and still have the freedom of how to use their time. I think that i i mean people some some discussion uh, is focused on the idea that if you give people a, a free pass then they would just basically sit around at home and, and watch tv i don 't think that's going to happen. I think people have an intrinsic sense of Doing activity, being being active, and doing useful work, uh, useful things in their time. And I think we can see this already in advanced economies. As I said, a lot of time is being used on or, or spent on these type of activities that are not properly remunerated. And having a move away from a, a purely uh, employment-based social protection model to some kind of mix. I mean, I'm not arguing totally abandoning the, the traditional model, but some kind of mix. Where you properly provide some basic uh, uh, remuneration basic income to to uh, to the population can actually help to 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 foster a, a sense of, of uh, or com- common and, 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 and social activities. I think that that certainly, certainly is something that we we should not discard. Uh,
0: I'm not discarding the thought line, but at the same time I'm also not sure how these governments Will be able to come up with those kind of resources, financial resources, because uh, the corporations are becoming more powerful, and the governments are not, uh, don't have enough uh, resources uh, for uh, providing this kind of uh, safety net to each and every citizen of their country, or each and every you know resident of their country. So that is unless we have a sensible solution that the governments will always have enough resources to spend on these kind of things, you know. Uh, that that is going to be a challenge because at the, as we see the security is going to fundamentally change and the amount of resources that are going towards security is going to keep increasing because uh, this connected computers and cyberspace has changed everything. So as we see, you know, the cyber warfare is emerging and then space warfare will emerge probably, you know, in the coming years. So the resources that will be spent on not only the science and technology exploration, uh, but also in the security itself is going to increase dramatically in the coming years. So how will nations keep up? in spending, you know, in providing the safety net to each and every individual unless they change the way they tax the corporations. So that unless they figure out because corporations are becoming more and more richer, they are having so much money, these digital companies. So uh, they are becoming more powerful. So there is a lot of imbalances and there is ne- there is a need for a lot of different uh, uh, kind of uh, redesigning and redefining of systems so that, uh, uh, we can uh, balance these uh, challenges, you know, and we can approach them in the right way in the coming years. So, I am not against the uni- you know, universal basic income, but I am not sure how that is going to work. And then at the same time, we have a way of uh, making money, you know, based on our digital data. So, we should explore that part too. So, let's see, you know, what shapes up in the coming tomorrow. I am not for or against anything, but at the same time, our data is our own. Our digital data is our own and we should be paid for that. So I I firmly believe in that. So now work. since work is the foundation of human society and everything else that we value, treasure, dream or take for granted, it is based on our ability to work because it gives us the power of you know depending on how we work what kind of skill sets we achieve what are we uh, what kind of uh, jobs we are able to get or what kind of uh, uh, come in the new startups or new ideas that we come up with that we have an ability to make money. Now if this traditional model of work falls apart, what do you what else do you see falling apart for the human society in the coming years?
1: Well, I, I I thought you to go go get uh, take a step back first, and, and, and say something about the uh, the importance of aligning in, uh, incentives for both public and private investment, or public and private uh, businesses, if you want. I think that's a, it's an important point to mention. I think that as I said before, we have currently this, this kind of competition between uh, private companies and pol- and lawmakers to to find the right balance between uh, and, and in terms of regulating these businesses. I think there's another line of thought that is important to bring in and that is that uh, some of the incentives that corporations currently have depend a lot on the regulation of, of the, the, the way financial markets work. Huh? And so we do see uh, a thinking currently evolving uh, and it came, came originally out of the, of the importance of climate change, but I think that there's a wider issue is that aligning business incentives and aligning incentives of investors on financial markets with economic, uh, sorry, with ecological and social objectives will be enormously important. There can be, it can be done either through kind of, uh, there are some, some initiatives currently on going on with rating agency where rating agencies actually not only uh, rate companies depending on their financial sustainability, but also on the extent to which they support uh, a transition towards a greener and more uh, um, uh, socially sustainable economy. Uh, same for public investment, and I think these type of initiatives should be fostered. Should be uh, the thinking around these initiatives should be put forward, because this is actually one way of moving forward. That you align the incentives of businesses rather than just looking into short-term profits to look into long-term. Social and ecological goals that the society has, and we can do this by by ensuring that the incentives that they get they get from financial markets are in line with the with social objectives ecological and social objectives and I think that there is as i said there is currently going some thinking on that concerns for instance the way central banks use their power as well on on uh, on financial markets it goes uh, uh, Along, as I said, uh, rating agencies and so on. so there is there is currently going a uh, sticking going on on how to use these different actors on financial markets and ensuring that the business incentives are in line with the social the the long term objectives that the society has.
0: No, I agree with you on that, that, you know, the model of the short-term profit-making, we need to, you know, come, uh, move out of that and think about, we should think about the sustainability and safety and security of humanity because uh, the, I think what needs to be done from what uh, you are telling and what I have addressed before is the impact investing. When yes, we, exactly. as a public, you know, or as a public you know, investment or whether it's a private investment, each and every investor, irrespective of whether it's an angel investor or venture capital firm or, uh, you know, any fund or government, that we need to make sure that where we, what we are investing in, in what where we are investing that that it needs to make an impact and that should be for the safety and uh, sustainability and security of the humanity so that if we are able to achieve that then you know a lot of uh, problems and challenges that we are seeing across nations will be able to uh, mitigate those but we need to work towards that there are a lot of initiatives emerging a lot of impact investors are emerging and a lot of uh, this new model is you know gaining ground but it's still very very slow and the pace of change is very slow so we do need to work towards that but how do you see nations adapting to these changing you know and different uh, not only just the human workforce or machine workforce but all these new changes that are coming their way and all these new models and there's a new as a all these systems get redefined and redesigned how do you see that uh, there is a resistant building for from the decision makers across nations about these redefining and redesigning our systems or do you see that they are accepting uh, all these uh, new models that are building or emerging
1: I mean, I, I would say that, I, I, I mean, I somehow repeat myself here, but I think that there's really a lack of awareness against, uh, again among policy makers, uh, uh, it, it, both at the, at the national level, but also at the, at the international level when you talk to policy makers, for instance, from the European Parliament. Uh, and, it, and I think the, the example you gave about impact investment is really, is really relevant in this respect. I'm, I'm hosting an event on blockchain and the sustainable development goals in, in two weeks here in Geneva. And you can see that it is a, it's, a, it's really an enormous, di- enormously dynamic market of private initiatives of using and developing blockchains for humanitarian purposes, for, for developing really kind of t- uh, specialized tools, for instance, for tracking uh, uh, tracking goods and services and supply chains to ensure that certain quality, quality standards are being respected. For, for helping people, uh, from helping migrants to ensure that their that their rights are properly protected. So there's enormous amount of activity in this area of blockchain, in particular, currently going on, but but uh, policymakers don't seem to be aware of it. Or if they are aware of, they don't do anything kind of partnering with these these type of initiatives to ensure that they, they can be scaled up and and properly being implemented and used as partners for policy delivery. I think that's that's a key issue issue that. Policy makers don't necessarily have to invent reinvent the wheel. A lot of things are already out there, but you need to partner with these companies. You need to kind of see to what extent you can scale this up and 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 use it for you for your uh, own public policy goals. And I think that there is really enormous potential out there, but there is a lack of either interest or awareness on the on behalf of policymakers to to use that.
0: Yes, I, I, there are there is a lot that we can discuss on that. But I think we are almost uh, coming to end of an hour. And, you know, this topic itself is a, uh, worthy of being a separate risk round yes. of you know, you. how the regulators and policymakers should address this. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially those young minds, students who are getting really concerned about the future of work?
1: Well, first of all, I would say that, uh, I mean, I, th- I think I try to be relatively optimistic in, in, in my overall statements. I think that there is enormous potential, especially uh, for, for developing and in emerging economies and for young people there. What you need to have is you need to have a digital preparedness. So you need to be ready to use these tools. You need to maybe invest also in in, in your digital skills. Not everybody can become an engineer, that is obvious, but you need to be ready to use these tools and to kind of see to what extent you can fit them into your own life. I think there are enormous potential and a lot of of possibilities exist even in, in sectors where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. So I think that young people can actually benefit because of their them being probably more open minded and more more interested in these technologies overall, still you have to be critical and and and, uh, and understand the challenges of these of these uh, of these tools. I think we should not necessarily not forget that behind all these digital developments, there are private companies they want to make money out of it, and so you should not necessarily easily leave all the data or respond to easily uh, to to, to whatever requests you get on the internet or by email, etc. I think that this is a, there's a lot of where uh, we, we can protect ourselves against being all, uh, exploited, uh, etc. So I, I would say that being ready to use these tools is certainly the best the best way forward and, and identifying sectors where you can you can benefit from it. Um, I think that even in sectors like transportation, where we see a lot of potential for this, uh, uh, for job disruption in the future. There is still a potential for you to use these tools and to make to make sure that you are actually at the forefront of of these of these technologies and uh, and keeping your job in in the area. I think that the jobs don't necessarily disappear. The tasks will disappear. What you're doing, so you might not necessarily sit behind the driving deal anymore, but you might actually be the kind of person who uh, who who welcomes the, your customer and prepares type of services, et cetera. So I think that there's. There is potential for people to adjust to these technologies in a way that helps them keep their job by doing different tasks than what they would use in the past.
0: Yes, very true. Excellent advice. So thank you so much, Akar, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on automation and the future of work and all these different, you know, uh, variables that we discussed. And our global viewers. And listeners would benefit tremendously from your analysis on forces of automation and future of work. So even if a single individual or entity can understand the forces of automation and the future of work based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this risk round of dialog has been of service. And we thank you for that.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Wonderful. So, Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities, as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk conduct webcast or listen to the risk conduct podcast, please go to riskgroupbalancing.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayeshree, host of risk of signing off. See you next time. Thank you.